Perfection stays intact as Jack Campbell improves to 8-0-0 to start the year. Hello, everyone. My name is Mara Russo, and joining me for the eighth episode of the Leafs Line podcast is none other than Aiden McCullough and Michael Iaboni. As always, we have a jam, jam-packed schedule for tonight. Uh, we will get into Campbell continuing to dominate. He's 8-0-0 and just one win away from tying Felix Potvin's record. Uh, we'll get into Zach Hyman and uh, take a deeper look into who he is and the role he has with this team and uh, what the other teams are uh, looking at him as. Uh, we'll also look at the Leafs' recent play as they're flipping the script and picking up points left, right, and center and just finding ways to win, whether it's going to overtime and even a shootout, their first shootout coming in game, I believe, 37 of the year. They're just picking up points, and that's all they need to do. And will they be running away from, with this division? We will get into that. And uh, the other downfall to the Leafs is the power play struggles. They are picking up points, but oh, for the last 27 in their last power play opportunities. Should this be a concern to Leafs fans and the Leafs alike, or should we just put it to bed since they're picking up points? We will get into that as well. And uh, with the final stretch approaching in just a week to the deadline, the playoff picture in not just the North Division, but all divisions in general, are starting to make formation. We will also discuss what one move each Canadian team should make to uh, get them over this tough stretch of games. Uh, we'll get into the good player team, and if you've missed it, a little earlier in the week, McDavid and McKinnon, both stars uh, in, their own, uh, in their own ways, uh, made some headlines on social media taking controversial penalties and uh, we'll get into if the penalty was enough or was additional discipline warranted uh vancouver is in turmoil and not for the play this time around uh covid has finally hit the north division has just dismantled vancouver it's already been a tough season for them and it keeps getting worse with 20 players in covid protocol and we might get into the flyers they just can't keep the puck out of the net uh they, it's through either healthy scratches, waivers, and they even took a loss to the Buffalo Sabres to snap their ugly 18-game skid. So it's not doing so well in the city of brotherly love. And as always, we'll get into the hot take segment of the show. And of course, Aiden McCullough will provide his weekly fantasy rankings. So I'll kick it off with Jack Campbell, improving to 8-0-0 to start the year. Uh, he's continuing to dominate opposition, improving his stat line to a 135 goals against average and a 951 save percentage. And just one way of uh, one win away, like I said, from tying Felix Potvin's win streak to open a season. Uh, Michael Hutchison will get the nod in tonight's contest against the Flames. However, Campbell will tend the goal on Monday evening in the team's second half of a back-to-back. And I got to give credit to Sheldon Keith for not just riding Campbell's historic start to the season, but providing him with rest along the way. And we know how vital that can be, and usually is, with goaltending and goaltenders who want to be starters in this league. Uh, Campbell sat last week's game against the Oilers in the squad's 3-2 overtime defeat in a game that I thought, and many many of which expected him to start, but he didn't. Uh, it's fair to say, if you're Keefe, you're just trying to play it as safe as you can with your starting goaltending situation. And I say that in full respect to the amount of injuries suffered by the top netminers. Uh, as we discussed numerous times on the show, goaltending is the big question that has to be answered, not only come playoff time, but in and throughout the postseason. Uh, it feels like we say this every week, but Campbell continues to increase his value on the squad night in, night out. And from a fan perspective, is really putting our thoughts on Anderson's play this year to bed. 
I mean, Campbell just brings out the best in his teammates, whether it's through a big save, I mean, a quick wink to his teammate or a tap on the pants. He just makes everyone around him better and is a huge staple in this lineup. Now, I'm not going to ask you guys about the goaltending controversy anymore uh, because I think we've just covered that in episodes prior. But my big question to you guys is, would, would have to be, uh, what do you find so powerful and consistent in Campbell's starts? Is it his ability to make the big saves when we need them? Or is his ever-growing confidence and goal just the most powerful thing we have recently seen in a Leafs uniform? I'm going to start with you, Aiden. What do you think has been the most consistent thing in Jack Campbell's starts? Um, for me, what I've noticed is that Campbell's really good at limiting chances off uh, by controlling his rebounds. If you look at either shots from the slot or from the point, he's really able to swallow up the puck and he rarely gives second chances to the uh, opponent. Like, uh, I don't even remember the last time I've seen a goal scored on him where it was a rebound. And I was curious and I searched up uh, some stats the other day about Campbell and apparently he leads the league in rebounds per save with a .025 and is second in rebounds above expected with a minus 0.017 and those are for goalies that have played at minimum eight games so obviously those are great stats I mean obviously you look at his agility allows him to move side to side very quickly his athleticism we've seen him make some really acrobatic saves this year I mean there's a lot of things that Jack Campbell has obviously done to get him to where he is right now with the eight and no record he has yeah and like you said the rebounds and if uh, any of our viewers here I know me and Iboni and you as well, Aiden, have played a long series of EASHL and NHL 21, and we know that goaltending in that uh, game, rebounds is just a mystery. And uh, just going back to Campbell, he has done brilliant things when it comes to saving the puck, and he looks so much more controlled than that crease, eating up everything he sees and uh, just making the big saves when he can. To me, it's really just his confidence and goal. We've seen from even last year when he was acquired by the, uh, the Kings, uh, a little closer to before we were the league was canceled. Uh, he was a little shaky to start. He was kind of building up chemistry with the team, and we saw firsthand within the first couple of games how down on himself he'd get, and just how uh, how much of a team player he is, and just getting his other guys uh, engaged and keeping them in check. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing uh, I've seen out of Jack Campbell over his uh, pl- his recent play and his perfect eight and zero start is that he's just helping the guys around him. He's making everyone better. And I would compare him in goal, in goal sort of to a Zach Hyman kind of role in respect to he's the spark plug. Everything goes through him, and he just generates so much energy for this club. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on uh, Jack Campbell's almost historic, uh, franchise historic 8-0 start, Iboni. And uh, what do you see most consistent in his uh, play? Yeah, historic for sure. I, I, think, I think it gets first ever – if he gets the two more wins, I think it's 10-0. It, it's never been done before by a Leafs goaltender. Uh, the big save, for sure, is definitely where he makes his big spark, as you said. Uh, he generates that defensive save in order to produce that spark for the offense. And he, his ability to, to win, he wants to win. He states that he loves winning. He loves playing here. The guys are great. Teammates are great. Defense has been pretty solid in front of him, too. So he, his ability to want to win and the ability to make the saves, so those are the two things that I've noticed from him throughout like the eight games that he's played this season, and he's looked phenomenal in all of them.
of them. So that positive mindset definitely is helping him. And I think that he should try to keep that up in order to get that perfect record intact. Yeah. And he's the most friendliest goaltender on the ice. I can tell you by, uh, I think anyone can tell you by any standard, he just tops not just goaltenders, but players in general for being just a, such a kind, uh, warm hearted guy. And I think that's a very big thing that teams don't really look at to get on their team. It's more just focusing on skill and yeah, you got to make the saves and all this, but he's just such a great being in the locker room. And I think that's a big reason for the Maple Leafs success uh, with him in goal. Uh, the Maple Leafs also have a lot of success with Zach Hyman or Mr. Versatile, the grinder, or even the workhorse, whatever you want to refer to him. Zach Hyman has created a nice identity for himself during his career here in Toronto and has caught the attention of viewers and players across the league. And you might be wondering why I'm saying this just now. I mean, we've always known Hyman is uh, is a force to reckon with, and we've always given, on this show at least, all our respect towards this guy. But whether it's through slick finishes or nifty passes to the team's top and bottom players, Hyman, like Campbell, sparks energy not just through the team, but is a conductor on every line he plays on. And you can't say this. I can't name you, I'm going to ask you guys as well, but I can't name you one player in this league that can play good as good as he can and uh, generate play as much as he can on every single uh, line in the lineup. It's just ridiculous. And uh, all the energy and success begins with him, either retrieving the puck in the corner, beating his man for an, icy, an icing, or simply just getting into a battle with the opposition. In his last five games, uh, he has four points to his name. Now, that might not seem like a lot, but at this point in the season, Hyman has began to get respect from the media and opposing teams alike throughout his role on the team. Uh, and I'm going to ask you guys first, uh, before we get into this other question, but how many players could you name in this league that sort of resemble a role like Zach Hyman? Like w- whether all the energy goes through him, uh, always digging uh, pucks out of the corner, like a grinder role. But Hyman has his own role in a sense, and it's kind of named after him. But could you give me, I'll start with you, Aiden. Could you give me one player that, kind of reminds you of Hyman or has these type type of role, this type of role and capabilities that Hyman does? Uh, the one player I think is kind of like Hyman in the sense he's also in the Canadian division is Josh Anderson. Uh, since coming into Montreal, he's been a somewhat less effective Zach Hyman as of recently. Both are grinders, as we know, who chip in and make their linemates better as well. Uh, Anderson and Hyman both love to throw the body around as we've seen uh, by Anderson in their Leafs first Habs series where Muzzin and him were getting into it after a few big hits. Um, Anderson started the season with an amazing goal-scoring touch, leading the team early on along with Toffoli in goals. So they were both, like Hyman, he was also uh, producing offensively, although he's taken a bit of a hit uh, recently. Yeah, and Josh Anderson is more of a uh, uh, a physical sort of uh, player. Hyman sort of evolved into more of an offensive-minded and also has the ability to play back defense. But uh, I don't think Hyman has the uh, the body to throw around as much as Josh Anderson does and maybe the will to throw around that body. But regardless of what it is, Hyman continues to produce. And every day you hear, oh, yeah, this team needs a guy like Hyman or uh, this guy on the Leafs is just another Hyman. And uh, I've always loved Hyman since the first time he dug a puck out of the corner and passed on the tape of Austin Matthews to give the team a lead. But right now, with the versatility uh, that he has shown, and the big contract winning on the table as well, I just can't make another episode of this podcast without giving him credit to this wonder of a player. And uh, I just want to ask you guys, 
uh, you already mentioned it, Aiden, about listing any other player uh, that relates to Zach Hyman or has the same role as Zach Hyman. I'm going to turn it over to you, Iboni. Could you name me a player in this league uh, that also matches up to the play of and role of uh, Zachary Hyman? Uh, no, but I can try. Uh, Zach Cassian, last year, though, not this year. Last year, he put up some points. Uh, granted, playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl, but he could be that spark plug player who makes the grind, makes the hits, gets in the corners, and passes those feeds to McDavid and Dreisaitl, who got those points and assists. And, I mean, it's a given. It's Dreisaitl and McDavid. They're going to score the goals that he passes to them. But it it's kind of the same sense where it's a physical body and he goes and he puts himself out there, gets in the corner, gets physical, gets into fights, and gets that spark that the team needs. Uh, another player that I can mention, I don't know a whole lot about him, but I know that uh, I've watched some of his games. Uh, uh, Zach Stanford, not, not as offensively gifted, but he is pretty close. Uh, he is a pretty solid passer, not a great goal scorer, but he does get in the corners and he does get the physical body on and he can be a spark plug on the third and second line for the uh, St. Louis Blues. And I like that you mentioned Zach Sanford. Uh, he's, he's also a guy like Hyman, maybe not too uh, as extremely offensive as he has, as he is, and maybe not playing it with that amount of talent as Hyman is exposed to, but he does move up and down the lineup and sort of a lot of the play does go through him as well. And uh, I like what you said about Zach, uh, Zach Cassian uh, to Zach. It's pretty cool, but Zach Cassian <laughs> is a, uh, I would, I would refer to him more to like not a not a goon, but more of a uh, he, he yeah. really tries to spark the team through his hits. And you did mention the McDavid effect, and that's more than evident. You're not seeing a guy like Zach uh, Zach Cassian putting up those points, not playing with McDavid, and I think we're seeing that this year. But uh, he's definitely a guy like Hyman who likes to get into the dirty zones and just try to spark a light a fire, as Aiden always refers to, under the butts of this his teammates and. Uh, that's a player that I think every team needs on the, needs on their team, and uh, the Leafs uh, thankfully have a guy like that right here, homegrown. Uh, but the Leafs, as of late, have flipped the script after an ugly couple of weeks to open up the month of March. The Maple Leafs have began to put, uh, I wouldn't say distance, but headway between themselves and the competition in this tight, tight North Division. Toronto's picked up points in each of their last six. And, on a, and currently on a four-point lead from the next up Edmonton Oilers, uh, in which they don't have any other games to play against the Oilers. So if it's going to come down to anything, it's going to come down to that final week or two in the season. Uh, now, four of the Leafs' last six have gone to extra time, including a shootout in which both the teams and Campbell picking up their first shootout win in their first appearance. Uh, do you guys think this peculiar stretch of games that see the clock strike extra minutes and extra digits have any cause for concern or should we just be joyful that the team is just finding a way to win night in night out and is that all that matters so i'm going to start with you Aiden. yeah i think i mean any night that you win is definitely a good one i mean going to extra time it could either mean one of two things your go- the goalies are playing great or the teams are not scoring that much so i think it's been a case of both things here as we've seen the least uh the power play has definitely been struggling, which has taken some of their offensive prowess out of them. But also Campbell has been playing great, as we said before. But also we haven't really touched upon it that much. But the opposing goaltending that the Leafs have been playing has been playing great as well. Whether that be through uh, Riddick early on in the season. There was uh, Hellebuck. 
was playing good. Demko was playing good. But overall, I'd say not to get too caught up on going to extra time as long as you get the wins. And that's all that matters at the end of the day, picking up the two points or the one point in a division like this. And you could also look at the other side of the coin saying, well, you're giving these points and not free points as believe me, they are much earned with the opposition's goaltending. We've seen it through Demko, like you've mentioned. Uh, Mike Smith was standing on his head for Edmonton a couple weeks ago. Uh, but it's about giving these other teams other points. And I think that's the reason why I go with this question. I go this route saying why it would be a cause for concern. As it, you're just giving up this one point, and we all know in a division like this, one point can mean all the difference as the positions change each and every week. So I, I, I would agree with you here. It's not too big a concern. And I really like what you said. It's a mix of both the, not the poor offensive showing, but the lack of putting the puck in the net, as well as the hot goaltending. Let's, let's be real here. The Maple Leafs have faced a lot of hot goaltenders in the last couple of weeks. Hellebuck stood on their head and, I've never seen Hellebuck play any better against the Leafs. How fitting, of course. But uh, Mike Smith was really on his game, like I said. And uh, I think the Leafs now are just finding more of a stride and making the, the, the games a little more condensed and closer. Uh, but uh, now with almost uh, fully the team fully healthy, uh, the Maple Leafs are beginning to go on a bit of a run, as I've said. And it's coming at the most opportune time with the deadline now just under or just over rather a week away. We shall save deadline talk for a little later in the show, but the Maple Leafs have a lot of hockey to play, including four back-to-backs. And now back-to-backs have always been this team's issue as they've never really had a reliable goaltending uh, duo. Well, now with Anderson hopefully on the mend and hopefully returning in the coming weeks, I think we can put this one to bed and say the Leafs have finally found it. Uh, we, now, we know how crucial this final stretch of games is for any team in this league. Uh, but I'll ask you, and I'll start with you, Iboni. Do you think with the form this Maple Leaf squad is in, and Freddie looking like he will be soon to hit the ice, hopefully, fingers crossed, will Toronto run away with this division? Yes, no, and why? Uh, I don't think they run away with it. I think they win it. I don't think it's going to be a big blowout. Uh, they got the four points on them now, but I, I still think if Freddie were to come back, he wouldn't be his 100% self, even though he's got all this time off now. I don't know if he would be a, a step up from what Jack Campbell is playing right now. Uh, it's going to be tight. Uh, it's only a four-point lead right now from second to first. Uh, that's with the Jets and the Oilers both four points back in the Leafs. And the Leafs have uh, one less game played, although they have one less game played than the Jets and the Oilers. Uh, I think it's tight. I don't think it's going to be, like, a six-point win in the division. I think it's going to come down to, like, the four points here, the two points here, three points, uh, potentially. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't think it's going to be that close because all, all these teams are producing and they're getting the wins up and they just have way too much talent to not be so separated. Yeah, and I like uh, what you said about how tight this division is. We've always been saying how tight this division is. And it, running away with the division, this division defines what you believe running away is. I think in this Canadian division, running away with this division would be considered if you're six points or even eight points up on the second-place team. Now, Aiden, I know we talked about this a little uh, earlier uh, in the day and as well as yesterday about running away with the division. Uh, do you think the Maple Leafs, uh, in their final stretch of the year, uh, will run away with this division, or will they just stay, like Iboni said, relatively close to the opposition, maybe two points, three points, or four points. 
and why? Um, I think it's really hard to say. I think the Leafs definitely are in a good position right now. I think they most likely will win the division, like Aboni said. But I mean, even if we look at like a month ago, I think it was, we said the Leafs had such a giant gap and they were running away with the division. And then suddenly they lost a few games. They went on a skid. Freddie was playing not that great. They took him out. They bring Campbell back in. He starts getting wins. So I think anything could happen here down the stretch. I think the trade deadline may have a somewhat of an impact on this as let's say for example the Jets have a really good trade deadline they get uh, some defensive help there and then they go on a run they could take the division theoretically if they wanted to there but I think the Leafs do have a good chance at it but I don't know if running away with the division will happen. Yeah, and I'm going to have to agree with both of you on this. I don't think they're going to run away with it. And uh, I think they're just going to have to hit a nice hot streak uh, coming down the final stretch of this year. Uh, they've already hit their cold patch of the year. Hopefully it's the only one of the year when they to open up the month of March. And if you look at their upcoming schedule, they have some against the Flames who have, like we've always said, been labeled as more of the inconsistent uh, team in this group. Uh, they have some games with the Ottawa Senators to finish that series out, but very vital series between the Winnipeg Jets, and they play, I think, majority of those games in in Winnipeg. So it's going to be a big series between those two, both of which are favored to uh, sort of battle one and two for the division lead. You can throw in uh, Edmonton in there as well, uh, and probably the Habs will stay status quo and just hold on to that fourth uh, place in the division. But it's definitely going to be tight, and I really don't think the Leafs are going to run away with it, but I do think they will take the lead at the end of the day. Now, uh, we're going to go into the Maple Leafs' power play struggles. It's, uh, now there, although there has not been many flaws in the uh, Maple Leafs lineup uh, and the Maple Leafs team as of late and as of through the, throughout this year, uh, I think it's fair to say that the man advantage just has not been it for the blue and white. And it's out in its last 11 games. Toronto scored two shorthanded goals. And they uh, before that, they were 30th in the league in shorthanded goals. Uh, and uh, zero power play goals in that stretch. Uh, so it's the squad is 0 for its last 27 power plays. And uh, breaking the streak, the ugly streak of 0 for 23, set in 2016, when uh, P.A. Parenteau was uh, the headliner for the team's first uh, power play unit. Now, we do know the team has changed a lot since 2016 and the power play is a streaky and delicate thing uh and in many cases in many cases a leading factor in a team's success and a team's problems but the toronto maple leafs don't play like many teams as we well know and they continue to grab points with the man advantage that has absolutely had nothing working at first it was excessive passing and we touched on that a couple weeks earlier uh, and now it's just turned to a lengthy series of perimeter play, in my opinion, at least, that is uh, relatively generated through the defense. Now, Toronto's just 30th in the league in scoring by defensemen. So that's, this tactic definitely isn't going to last long, nor is it going to work and uh, beat, I think, any team in this division. Uh, but I'm going to ask you guys, and I'll start with Iaboni. Uh, what, prob- what, what is the problem you have noticed in this man advantage as of late that has taken the power out of the least play? And how much should we be concerned with the team picking up points night in, night out with this type of ugly power play they're in? I think they're passing it too much, looking for the perfect shot. And, I mean, it bounces back between things. Because 
way back when we were only like over five and like it was like that stretch like way before like weeks and weeks ago uh it was a different problem it was the fact that they were just not scoring they were hitting posts they were getting unlucky the goaltenders were robbing them now there's no excuse now they're firing they're scoring they need like not on the power play they're firing and they're scoring they need to find a way as they've been doing finding a way to win they need to find a way to break that barrier and get that first one because when they get that first one a bunch will come because they have their confidence back they're getting wins they're getting these shots they just really need to stop passing the puck all over the place don't wait for the perfect shot you have the extra man Take the shots, get the rebounds, get in front of the net, get deflections, whatever you can, make it work. That is their problem. They're overpassing, looking for the perfect play. Yeah, and I like what you said about uh, it began with luck. Uh, your, your luck can only go for so long, and the Leafs, with an 0 for 27 like this, there's it's not luck at this point. It's just the way they're playing. And shooting the puck on net is probably the most valuable thing uh, that you should be doing when you're in a slump like this. I know from a baseball perspective, we talked about this, I think, mm-hmm. last week, Iaboni. When you're in a slump, all you do is keep swinging. If one falls, the floodgates will open, and when it rains, it pours, especially for a Leafs team like this that is so offensively minded. So they, I think they just need that one to crack it open, but it's becoming a little bit ridiculous of when this one goal will come about. And it has a lot to do with the way they've been playing. I mentioned their perimeter play and uh, how much they've been relying on the defensive scoring that just, quite frankly, isn't there. And Aiden, would you agree with me on the perimeter play, or do you have a different uh, insight on what the problem in this power play is? Well, I would agree with uh, Iboni a little bit that they are looking for perfection on the power play, but the two things I'd probably say is that they're not shooting at the right times, and when they are shooting, they're missing the net a lot, which I've noticed on the power play. Um, In terms of missing the net, I mean, we saw Matthews miss the net a few times when he was just first coming back from a wrist injury, which is definitely understandable. But he's starting to hit the net a lot more now, and he's putting the puck in the net now, which is good. But the guy who I've mainly uh, been screaming at my TV about the most on the power play is definitely Morgan Riley. I mean, I've seen him take some shots that have, like, I don't even know what he was aiming at, but I think he's just trying to look for the perfect shot, like top corner or the barn. And I think you just got to get it on net is the most important thing when you're on the power play. Because obviously on the man advantage, you have more guys in front of the net. So the likeliness of you putting it in is much higher at that point. Um, In terms of when they're shooting the puck, I mean, I think I saw last game, Marner had an open lane to shoot it, but he decided to force the pass. I mean, you we all know Marner's a very gifted passer, but if you have a wide-open lane to shoot, you obviously got to take it there. I mean, if you're going to pass, especially to a guy who's has a man on him, you're, you're just basically wasting an open chance there. So I think they definitely should be working on that more. Yeah, and taking shots is the big thing that you want on your power play. Obviously, it's the thing that gets you the goals. Uh, but in a, in a power play that's been so... Uh, I think inconsistent is the right word as of late. They started off extremely hot to open up the year, uh, setting league records and team records, in fact, for uh, how much of a pace they were going to be on. And now it's just quite frankly flat and uh, nothing's working for them. And taking shots is, and and I agree with you 100%, is the best option for this Maple Leafs team. And speaking of taking shots, uh, earlier in this week, two of the NHL stars took some shots 
and some throws at some uh, other their opposition. Uh, so uh, earlier in the week, two of the NHL's revenue uh, re- revenue generators, the breadwinners, whatever you want to call them, uh, they're must-watch TV in respect to Mc- Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon, uh, both of which committed two illegal plays that have created an uproar on social media. Both Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon were fined five thousand, uh, the maximum, might I add, for their respective offenses. Uh, McDavid threw a high elbow on Kasperi Kokkinen and received a penalty for a roughing following the hit. Uh, in Nathan McKinnon's case, he was handing a game misconduct, so more severe for throwing Connor Garland's helmet back at him as uh, in a tussle, as well as a four-minute roughing penalty. Uh, now we're going to start with McDavid here because we sort of take a center and more of a focus on the Canadian division. And he's, quite frankly, always uh, burning the Maple Leafs. So I want to take my shots as him, at him as much as I can. Uh, but McDavid threw a high elbow on uh, Kotanyemi uh, and received the league maximum for his high elbow. Uh, what did you guys think after initially seeing the hit? And uh, did it warrant any other form of discipline, any further discipline uh, on this incident? I'm going to start with you, Aiden. Um, I was actually watching the game, and I saw the hit, and I immediately thought... That should get a suspension, but since it's McDavid, it's probably not going to. I mean, obviously, he's the best player in the league. He brings in massive revenue each and every night when people tune in to, to watch him play with the Oilers, him and Dreisaitl. Um, In terms of McKinnon's, I think I thought his was less severe, but he did end up getting a suspension, which I was kind of surprised about. I mean, obviously, both actions were taken out of anger as – uh, McKinnon was getting roughed up by Garland there, and McDavid was just being shut down by the Montreal Canadiens that night. I think they only allowed like 16 shots. But anyways, I think McDavid's definitely should have got a suspension, but since he's a star in the league, we've seen it before with other players in other sports that uh, he won't get suspended because the league needs him to play night in and night out. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. I think the, a suspension, in my opinion, is and should have been awarded. And, uh, I mean, you look at the situation as well, and I didn't really think of it this way until you mentioned it. The Oilers were down, I think, 4 nothing at the time, or down by a wide margin, and we're getting shut down. And you don't see McDavid and Dreisaitl and company getting shut down very often uh, and held pointless very often. Uh, and the amount of frustration that was brought out of that hit I can only imagine the feeling Kotaniemi had after the hit. And uh, just not seeing any additional uh, response given. Uh, I, I don't think this should be continuous in this league. And I also want to hear your thoughts on this, Ayaboni, because uh, obviously it's a very controversial thing. Uh, many people, including, I guess, the officiating in the league, don't want to give McDavid any other uh, discipline or any further discipline simply because he's the one who brings in most of the money to the sport and I know as from a fan perspective I would be kind of upset too because I love watching McDavid whether he's ripping on the Leafs or not he's just a different being a different force in nature it's ridiculous the things he does on the ice but what are your thoughts on uh, this I'd consider it an ugly hit on Kotaniemi and uh, did you think any additional uh, response by the National Hockey League was warranted Michael Iabone, I will ask you again. 
Uh, did you think any uh, additional uh, penalty should be warranted for the hit on Colton Yemi from a star player like Connor McDavid? All right, we he will move on up. to. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we will move on to uh, my thoughts, at least on this issue. Now, whether you agree with the verdict and handling of the incident or not, it is certain that the league uh, protects their star players uh, as they are the ones who keep the lights on, if you will, or keep fans watching the sport. Uh, this sort of situation however, sort of sets the line and even moves the line as to what players can or can't do. Uh, and that it is now based on just the name on the back of their jersey rather than what is happening on the front of it. Uh, many say that Tom Wilson, uh, a, a player known for his physical play uh, and infamous for his suspensions, he would have received a nine-game suspension for this kind of hit. And I absolutely agree. Nobody uh, pays to watch Tom Wilson shoot the puck around. Uh, as all the eyes are on the young stars like McDavid and McKinnon uh, as well. I, tru- I truly believe... Uh, that each player should be handed the same discipline, regardless of who they are and how they play. And I think this sort of hit is the type of situation that is just putting the, the National Hockey League back a few steps from other major sporting leagues that generate revenue strictly from viewership. And we see it in this day and age, especially in the Canadian division, with no fans being allowed. Uh, it's uh, You're getting all your money through viewership. And uh, you see teams like the MLB, uh, or leagues rather, like the MLB, the NFL, guys who... Uh, big name guys will get suspended and will get equal uh, equal suspension based on what they've done rather than who they are. Uh, I'll relate this to baseball in a baseball perspective. Uh, you look at a guy like Aroldis Chapman. He threw at Brossois' head in uh, the playoffs last year, and he received not a major suspension, but he was suspended for the remainder of the series as well as uh, the first three games of the season uh, for this year. So, and Chapman is a star player in this league and the best closer for the Yankees. But just to keep it more on topic here, he's a big name player and he did get a suspension. So I think this is something the National Hockey League has to look at and it's something they definitely have to change to make this game more equal. Because, of course, equality is what they exactly. fight for at the end and of the I, day. I, but complete, on, you can hear me now? Okay, oh, sorry. I, I had to take my AirPods out because I had a really bad cough and I didn't want you guys to all hear that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I definitely believe that there should have been disciplinary action for McDavid. Like, just a, a two-minute minor and a $5,000 suspension is just nowhere near where it should be. Uh, personally, I think that it should be no more than three games. Uh, I personally think two games is what he should be getting. Uh, that was absolutely nasty. It could have been career-ending, or at least it could have been, like, a couple months of injury for a broken nose or any kind of facial injury. Uh, not to mention, uh, McDavid makes like $38,000 a day. $5,000 is not making a difference in his life. Uh, that $5,000 is pocket change for McDavid. So I don't really see a point in even paying that $5,000. Uh, it, it's just like a slap on the wrist, really. And I don't think that it was nearly enough for McDavid. As for Nathan McKinnon, and I'll make this brief. I think it was way less severe. Uh, he did get the five-minute penalty, so that means that it should be a little bit less harsh. Uh, but I do think one additional game penalty should be included in that, and that's about all that he should really receive because it wasn't like it was like injury-threatening in that area. It was more like 
you threw his helmet back, you were really mad, and it didn't really cause anything harmful towards the player a little bit, but not nearly as much as McDavid. So I just personally don't think that it was as bad. So one game suspension for uh, McKinnon and two for McDavid. Yeah, and I, I, find, I thank you for giving uh, your 10 cents in here. And uh, I was a little scared for a second that you left us. But, uh, yeah, like you said, it's two different, uh, two different situations, two different calls. Uh, it was sort of – I like what you said about McDavid being a slap on the wrist. $5,000 is the maximum, and it literally is nothing to this guy. He's making that in maybe a couple games or so. But uh, that's more of a roughing penalty that, like you said, could have ended any hit could end whether it hits the right spot or not could end a player's career and now let's not over exaggerate the hit on mcdavid uh of mcdavid's but it definitely wasn't legal it definitely wasn't clean and uh it does differ from mckinnon where it was more of an unsportsmanlike sort of penalty like yeah you shouldn't really be doing this this is not how the league wants you to act uh as a prime example of a guy who brings in all this revenue uh, so we're just going to have to give you the game misconduct and you're going to have to uh, sit in the corner there. But uh, we're going to switch gears here to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, the North Division went over uh, halfway through the year without recording a single COVID case until last week when the Canucks released a statement outlining the, co- the contraction of the virus through players and staff members. Now, the Canucks game against the Flames and Oilers was canceled to this outbreak on the West Coast. And uh, the Montreal Canadiens did have a similar situation a few weeks earlier, but definitely not as severe as over 20 Canucks players uh, have contracted the virus and are in isolation. It's definitely a stain on the Canucks season, and it sort of sums up how this year has really been for them. Uh, Demko, who has such had a Vezina contending month of March, now is a sole proprietor of the global virus, much like his teammates. Now, the league has extended the season about a week to make up for these canceled games, However, if it does get worse, the league may have no choice but to shorten the Canucks season. And this is obviously something not just for uh, a Canucks perspective, but for a hockey perspective. We never want to see this on any teams. Obviously, we've seen uh, how COVID could affect and shake this world. And it just doesn't have a place in sport, and it shouldn't. But this is reality, and this is the consequences of playing in a COVID, uh, the COVID era. But uh, as we know, COVID has affected and shook the world and not just sports, but everything in between. So I'm going to ask you guys, how much of an effect can this have on not just the Canucks, but the rest of the Canadian teams in general that have already had games canceled and pushed back? I'm going to start with you, Aiden. And if you could just give me a brief uh, synopsis of what you think uh, the effects will be, maybe with a possible schedule schedule change that I think might come with the cases possibly going up in Vancouver? Um, I think definitely with these cases in Vancouver, it's not just going to affect the Canadian division. I think it's probably going to affect the league as a whole. I mean, if you think of 20 staff members and players getting COVID in such a short amount of time, it kind of leads you to question like how they were all able to contract this at the same time. So I think obviously that might um, cause more strictness in terms of supervision of the players, uh, their social distancing, how much they're wearing masks, their, uh, how cleansed how they are while they're uh, in the arenas and close to the other teammates. I think they've even just brought up today about going into a bubble again for the playoffs. 
me personally, I think that is a good idea since it worked last year. And I don't think there was any cases last year for the playoffs. I could be mistaken, but I think the I think bubble was definitely yeah. was definitely a winning uh, winning dynamic for things to come in the future. Yeah, and a winning dynamic, like you said, and a uh, a different dynamic, especially for uh, fans alike, like looking from last summer in the playoff bubble. It was definitely a different thing to see uh, with no fans in the stands and how it would play out. And now, obviously, we're so used to not seeing fans in the stands, and it does look weird <clears throat> when looking back at fans in the stands. But uh, I think it's the best thing that the league should do, uh, playoff bubble. Obviously, you have the Canadian teams playing each other all around Canada. Why not just put them in a bubble? Like, I don't see a, that big of a problem to it. And uh, regarding the Vancouver Canucks, I'm hoping, obviously, from not just a fan perspective, but just from a human perspective, that they can get better and uh, get through this in time for uh, the final stretch of the year and maybe just try to bring some life to their fan base <clears throat> in a year that's just been so downwards and so ugly for not from a hockey standpoint, from a general standpoint in general for people such as the ones living in Vancouver and fans of this franchise. Now, regardless of Vancouver who are kind of in the middle of contending for the final spot of the playoffs, we'll see how that plays out with this COVID situation. <clears throat> But with the end of the season looming in the NHL, many teams in the league are in their final thoughts regarding their contention in the playoffs and just how in they are for this last stretch. Now, much of this podcast and much of this episode, so to speak, has taken a more specific focus towards the Canadian talent in this league, specifically the North Division. It is a dogfight for the top seed in the North Division, with three teams looking to be a contender night in, night out. I think you all agree that with me that taking the final spot would be none other than the Habs, sitting six points ahead of Vancouver with three games in hand, and the Canucks being critically affected by the COVID-19 virus. Now, uh, hot takes typically follow the path of both my fantasy drops and my tweets. They don't age well, and they do usually make me look silly. But, uh, Iaboni, I remember you calling out the uh, Oilers earlier in the show, saying they would not make the playoffs. Sitting yeah. second in the division and 12 points ahead of the Habs, <laughs> have uh, our thoughts changed I, at all? I think we can agree that my hot takes are way too out there. Because I also said the Flames would make the playoffs, and look how they're doing. Smiles, thumbs up. <laughs> Love you all guys so much. Yeah, I mean, the hot takes is, the segment is definitely designated for the ifs and uh, the things that will make you look like a genius. And I mean, Aiden doesn't really look like a genius most of the time, but at least in hot- fantasy <laughs> and our hot take segment, he phone shots. I must take my shots when given. Now, uh, in this division, uh, it is definitely uh, like drawing names from a hat uh, for one and two uh, in this highly offensive and competitive division. But I will ask you guys this: Can you name one player, one player that each of these top four teams, being the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Winnipeg Jets? the Edmonton Oilers, and the Montreal Canadiens. Can you name me one player out of those four teams that they can add by or prior to the deadline to boost their late push and to and throughout the playoffs? I'll start with you, Aiden. Uh, I'll start off with the Leafs. So I'll, the first person I, I've been hearing a little bit of speculation about is Mike Hoffman for the Leafs. And I'm not just saying this because he's on my fantasy team and I'd like to see him go to a more offensive team. But uh, I think Mike Hoffman, where he's at in St. Louis right now, 
not really being used to his fullest potential. Um, he's playing on the second line right now, but isn't seeing top power play time where we've seen he usually finds his success previously. Uh, another guy I could see come to the Leafs is probably, I've only said it before, but it's Bobby Ryan. Ooh. I think for how cheap he is, he's definitely somewhat of a less effective uh, Jason Spezza. He could definitely bring some prowess to the uh, bottom six of the Leafs' core. He could bring some goal scoring in, some uh, more veteranship to the lineup. He's another guy who's looking for a cup, and I think he'd definitely be a great addition to the offense. For the Winnipeg Jets, I'd say Matisse Ekholm would be a good fit there. Obviously, he's a big-body defenseman who can chip in offensively as well. He'd help the Jets' defensive problem immensely. Uh, I think he'd play great with a guy like uh, Pionk because he'd be a, he'd be a uh, good contrast to Pionk since he can play shutdown defensively since Pionk is known to have defensive lapses, much like Quinn Hughes in uh, Vancouver. For the Ottawa Senators, I honestly don't see them acquiring anyone or selling anyone at the deadline. I mean, we know they're going through a rebuild at the moment. They're nearing the end of the tunnel now. Their team has looked pretty good considering the lineup they had to start off the year. They've been able to steal some games from, I think, every team in the division this year. So I think maybe just wait till free agency this summer and sign a big guy, big name guy to uh, help move forward with the rebuild. For the Montreal Canadiens, I think uh, they just got their guy in Eric Stahl. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I didn't see Eric Stahl going to the Habs. But uh, now that he's there, I think it definitely makes sense. Not only is Stahl obviously a great uh, veteran presence on the team, he's a, he was an amazing goal scorer and still can be if given the right opportunity. And the, But the reason I most like Stahl on the Habs is the, the versatility of the lineup. I think you could move Stahl probably anywhere within the top three lines. I mean, the Habs have been known to have a pretty much giant second line on their offense. So I think being able to have a guy like Stahl just gives uh, Bergevin a lot of options to switch around his lineup. Yeah, and uh, I think <clears throat> I like the – I think Stahl is going to be – We'll see a little more in the upcoming weeks. Obviously, he just arrived to the team. Uh, we'll see what kind of effect he has there. And uh, Mike Hoffman, I think, would be a great fit for this Maple Leafs team. Uh, we've seen what he can do with skill. We've seen him in, uh, I think it was Florida, if I'm not mistaken, how uh, productive he could be when playing with top-end talent. Uh, he did start off this year in St. Louis with uh, O'Reilly playing on the top line. And he just, I don't think anything really clicked, but they wanted to move him down moved down to the second line, didn't get anything there, and eventually moved down to the third line. Still didn't get anything there, and now they're just, they're just playing, with it, playing with it and seeing uh, what he can do. So juggling the lines a little bit, and uh, now, like you said, he's on the second line. He is definitely, without question, a top six forward. Is the price tag a little too big for the Maple Leafs? We, sell, we shall see. We, they don't have too much uh, cap room to work with and cap space to work with. Uh, when it comes to the deadline, we see these like rumors with Taylor Hall coming to the Maple Leafs. I just don't see it because the price tag with him is just 
immaculate for a team that's really uh, looking to go the cheap way at this uh, deadline in respect to signing people. But uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting deadline for sure. And I think it's a, an important time for these teams to stock up because uh, I believe all those teams you've mentioned, maybe aside from the Ottawa Senators, uh, are uh, making a big playoff push. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the upcoming weeks. Iboni, I was wondering if you have any uh, thoughts on what these top four teams maybe to be more specific and what they would add to their mm-hmm. team to uh, help them get to the playoffs in this final stretch and possibly get them through the playoffs. I'm going to stick by my point and say Bobby Ryan for sure for the Maple Leafs. He just makes sense, like Aiden said, like a, a lower class Jason Spezza. I'm also going to add in a Mark Stahl, a, a defensive uh He's good in his own end, but he's not expecting to be putting up points. Uh, a veteran who wants another cup. I, I, he wants another cup or he wants a cup? I think he has a cup. I can't guarantee that. But he definitely is in search of another cup at his age. He uh, is an aging veteran who is set to retire sometime in the next three seasons. And a guy who could honestly be a healthy scratch if needed. He can split time with Travis Dermott, get in and out of the lineup. Not right now. Um, the Oilers, they could potentially take, um, oh, who did I have? Uh, uh Mikhail Granlund, because they need that depth forward. They can play a second line, a third line minutes, and having him as a third line center or a third line wing would be perfect for the Oilers. Uh, for the Canadians, I have Sam Bennett. Uh, I also have to agree with Aiden, though. It's a hometown. They they have uh, Eric Stahl, who they just got. Uh, so that's a, a guy for them. But if they really need another depth guy, I would go with a, a Sam Bennett because he's a little bit more physical, and he can still put up points on, like, the third and fourth line. As for the Jets, I'm going to agree with Aiden. I'm going to say Matias Ekholm. Uh, just makes sense. Like, perfect stay-at-home defenseman who can also put up some points if you were to apply him on, on one of the power plays. Would work well with Pionk. Uh, another one, Josh Manson for the Jets would be awesome. Uh, good scoring defenseman who is pretty solid in his own end in Anaheim. Playing with, um, he's playing with Shattenkirk. But he's pretty solid defenseman, and I think he'd be really good in Winnipeg. Yeah, and one thing that really does worry me with uh, the uh, Winnipeg Jets is the way they handle uh, their defensemen. You see a guy like Pionk, uh, he's not playing top minutes, not not playing top power play minutes, not playing, I think he's on the second pairing or something like mm-hmm. that. But he's, uh, the way the, the Winnipeg Jets handle their defensemen and use them is something I worry about. Obviously, Ekholm would be a great fit for the uh, Winnipeg Jets, being more of a defensive player. And uh, I think would help uh, either Morrissey, pairing with Morrissey or Pionk, maybe giving them sort of an offensive and defensive look for regarding the Morrissey and Pionk. Uh, but it's, uh, it's something to look at for the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, I really do think Ekholm is a great fit for this team. Just always comes down to how they're going to use them and handle them at the end of the day. And uh, getting to the end of the show uh, brings the hot take segment of uh, our podcast. And uh, I don't know who we started off with before. I believe it was me. But uh, I think we're going to switch gears and get into uh, – we'll start with Aiden this time around and uh, see what he has in store and if he will serve up a spicy meatball for us to swallow. Aiden, please take it away. 
All right. So for my hot take, I'm going to definitely contradict what I said last week about the Nashville Predators in saying that the Nashville Predators may actually be for real after all. They've won five of their last six games, and their power play has been quite effective recently. The Preds' power play has risen from near the bottom of the league to 15th in just two weeks. Uh, Their recent success has included a series sweep against the Blackhawks and Red Wings and split series against the Stars and the Lightning. Some notable performers during that time is Eli Tolvanen. Not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. Just came off a six-game point streak. He's now second on the team for scoring with 10 goals in the season, and he's brought a much-needed boost to an otherwise lackluster power play. Juicy Saros has only lost two games in his last 10 starts. He has been the backbone, without a doubt, of the Preds' success recently. Eight straight wins, eight straight games with a 900-plus save percentage, and he should definitely be the bona fide starter for the Preds going forward since Rene has been very inconsistent. As well, Roman Yossi, obviously we know the reigning Norris winner, has been contributing much more since coming back from injury. His six points in his last seven games, as opposed to 16 points in the 25 games prior to his injury. He's looking like he's back to quarterbacking the power play and defending on the penalty kill, so that is obviously a big boost to the special teams. And overall, just gives a much-needed boost offensively, much like Tolvanen. Going forward... The Predators were previously said to be sellers at the deadline, but after moving into fourth place in the Central Division and evidently into a playoff spot, that may not be the case as they play their final stretch of games before April 12th trade deadline, which is not going to be an easy one since they are playing games against the Lightning Stars, Red Wings, and of course their main competitor, the Blackhawks. I'd expect the Preds' front office to make their decisions based off their play and how confident they are that the team will even have success if they do make the playoffs. And the uh, last, uh, last, our last episode, we were talking about the Predators. I believe they were winners of four or five straight. I don't, I don't remember, but uh, we were saying whether this streak was just a flash in the pan or this team for real. And we all kind of agreed that uh, with the the lineup that they have and the talent there or the lack of sort of uh, talent there, like general talent, uh, I don't think they would make such a big run and maybe make their way into the playoff picture. But uh, here we are. They found a way to prove us wrong, and I think that's a good thing if you're a Predators fan. But uh, definitely going to be deciding whether they're going to go in or sell a bit of their pieces uh, in the next couple games, maybe the next three or four games. I know they play a couple against the Red Wings, uh, which should be with the t- way this team's playing, lock-up wins there. And I think they ha- have uh, a couple with the Lightning and the Blackhawks, like you said. So those are going to be big-time games that you want to get in before the deadline, and uh, that'll tell tell you which way you want to go with this. Uh, now we'll just switch gears over to Michael Iaboni, who always provides us with the best uh, content on the hot take segment. Uh, Mr. Iaboni, what do you have for us this week? I don't know if this is exactly best content-wise, but... Uh, I'm going to talk about Jack Adams Trophy and the GM of the Year Award. So also talking about um, the Jason, what is it? It's the Jim Gregory General Manager of the Year Award. So for the Jack Adams, uh, I'm first of all, you all know me by now. Uh, I'm not doing an obvious choice. So uh, he currently sits fourth in estimated 
uh, votes. They haven't been tallied yet, obviously. Uh, Dean Evison of the Minnesota Wild winning the Jack Adams Trophy, head coach for the Minnesota Wild. They've looked absolutely incredible, uh, way above everyone's expectations. We thought they were going to be like last or second last, maybe even third last in their division. They're now sitting third in the, a tough, fairly tough West division. They're two points back a second, and they're six points back up first. And they are – I didn't do the math. I'm sorry. Nine points in a playoff spot right now. Actually, ten points in a playoff spot as of right now. They are ten points ahead of the St. Louis Blues. So they're absolutely killing it. And their head coach has been solid, coaching all these rookies like Kirill Kaprizov, um, Nico Sturm, Kyle Rau. Kakinen. Uh Erickson Eck is, is still fairly young. Yes, Kakinen as well. He's been absolutely dominant. Uh, definitely contender for the um, the Calder. So Minnesota Wild GM, uh, sorry, head coach is my Jack Adams award winner. As for the Jim, Jim Gregory general manager, the year award, I have Kyle Dubas, no bias. Um, only because the additions that he, he's added is just completely changed the nature of the team. Uh, we have Alex Elchenyak who came in. He's been looking like a, a Zach Hyman 2.0. Uh, the Jason Spezza re-signing was huge. This guy's putting up points like crazy on the third and fourth line. Uh, Wayne Simmons coming in being an impact maker right off the bat. First game has his first fight, making impacts getting his team back in the game physically, being a net front presence again, which is something that the Leafs really needed, making that impact on the blue line with a TJ Brody and a Zach Bogosian, and those physical bodies. And TJ Brody, if you've been watching the Leafs and keeping up with the Leafs, then you know that he is the best defenseman defensively for the Leafs. It's not even close. He's been insane. And really, he's a main reason why the Leafs have not let in as many goals that they, that they would have let in without him this year. Um, another acquisition. Well, no, I wouldn't really say another acquisition, but another move that he made like in previous years was bringing in Kerfoot. And I mean, it didn't look like it at the time, uh, but Kerfoot is doing pretty solid right now for a third line, fourth line guy, decent money. But at the moment he is looking pretty, pretty good. He, he's a hard four checker. Uh, got a shorthanded goal not that long ago. Beautiful shot, rolling puck, roofs it over Connor Hellebuck. Makes Dubis look like a genius. Also bringing in veteran Joe Thornton, allowing him to take a chance at the cup. He's looked pretty good early on. A little cold now, but hopefully he can pick it up and continue his his season with the. Major now, I've never heard too much uh, love come Kerfoot's way, as he was always sort of the uh, the side piece in that acquisition with Kadri, uh, obviously the big, big, uh, the big uh, spender in that trade was Tyson Berry. And we've seen how, uh, sort of a, how a start he had under Babcock and he did improve under Sheldon Keith, but it just wasn't enough, uh, for the Maple Leafs to resign him and give him, uh, the big contract that he was asking for. And you discussed, uh, Kyle Dubas for the, uh, general manager of the year award. And I fully agree. I don't think Leafs GMs, and not just from a Leafs perspective, but uh, in the general perspective, if a Leafs GM hasn't won this award, and I don't remember how long, 
And uh, the Leafs don't get too much respect because, number one, usually the guys they bring in don't do too well. And number two, they're just always, the media is always surrounded by the Leafs. Uh, So we never really get into this sort of uh, situation. But Kyle Dubas has done a wonderful job. You've mentioned TJ Brody being such a opportunistic defenseman, always uh, shutting down and playing the best defensive play he can night in, night out. Guys like Wayne Simmons, he started off the year very strong, and the injury did slow him down a bit, but he's starting to pick it up a little bit. And uh, a guy like uh, Jason Spezza, obviously not acquisition, but a re-signing that has just worked wonders for this team. And uh, Jack Campbell, if you want to go all the way back to last year, obviously Cal Dubas uh, was the general manager for him in the, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds organization and saw what he could do there. And reuniting himself with uh, Campbell is just now paying off. And I think all the signs are going towards the gym of the year going to Cal uh, Dubas. Now for mine, I'm going to prepare you guys because I finally do have a hot take. It's not really anything speculative. Now this one really can be a hot take. And mine is simply put, I'm going to one up what uh, you said last week, Iboni, and yours that did come true. So uh, I congratulate you on that. But you did say the abs would uh, take top and sole possession of the, uh, number one seed in the West division. And I'm going to one-up you by saying... The- no, that was mine. That was yours? Yeah. Trying to give Iboni credit for my hot take? Aiden. I'm so sorry. Well, no. I'm also still right because I said the Blues wouldn't make the well, playoffs. Well, you're right on that. So I'm, I'm also sorry. still right on that. Congratulations speech. But uh, Aiden, I no, will one-up you as I always do. I'm the wizard. Come on. Well, I'm going to have to take the wizard down for now because <laughs> uh, the Minnesota Wild finish atop the West division this year. Now, uh, they currently do sit six points back mm. from the first place abs. And uh, they do got two games against them. Their next two games, in fact. Uh, and three after that against the struggling Blues. Now, uh, Talbot and Kakinen will continue to dominate with my hot take st- standing. And Kaprizov, Eriksson Ek, and company will fully stay hot. And uh, I truly believe this team has what it takes. And you would never think it to uh, finish atop this West Division. Now, that, my friend, is a spicy meatball. That may or may not slide down the throat of our viewers. But uh, moving into away from my hot take, I finally made one. We'll get into Aiden's fantasy rankings for the week to conclude. Episode 8, I can't believe it's been this long of the Least Line podcast. Aiden, the floor is yours, my friend. All right. To start off, first player we got on the list is Anthony Beauvillier of the New York Islanders. He's got points in six of his last seven games. Uh, eight points through that stretch. He's been seeing time on the second line and top power play based on his recent success and the other forward injuries on the Islanders roster. He is also a fairly good high-volume shooter with 63 shots on the season. Currently, he is 6% owned on Yahoo and 27% owned on ESPN. Next up, we have Cali Yonkrock of the Nashville Predators. He's got four points in his last four games, 19 points so far this season. He's playing on the second line with Granlund and Kunin, both who have been doing quite well recently. As well, he's playing on the top power play, where he seems to be quite comfortable with power play points in two of his last three games. Currently, Yonkrock is 8% owned on Yahoo and 7% owned on ESPN. The next player we have is another Islander, Jordan Eberle. He's got five points in his last four games, 25 so far this season. He's been an extremely consistent point getter as he's only gone without a point for three games twice this season, which doesn't sound that impressive, but when you played over 30 games, 
it's obviously got to be hard for him to do that. Uh, he's been, also been a consistent high-volume shooter. As The last time he had a game without a shot was actually February 11th. So that's another impressive stat that he has there. Currently, he's 24% owned on Yahoo and 75% owned on ESPN. The last player I have on this list is Craig Smith of the Boston Bruins. He's got five points in his last three games and 16 so far this season. He's been bumped up to the top line playing with Marchand and Bergeron recently. This is in an effort, obviously, to spread the offensive production from the Bruins offense. This means we should see a steady jump and even strength points from Smith as long as he stays in a top six role. And currently he is 6% owned on Yahoo and 3% owned on ESPN. And uh, Aiden, uh, hopefully I will take these uh, fantasy pickups into consideration as I did last week, picking up, uh, I believe, two or three of your uh, five pickups that you have gave on this on episode seven of the podcast. But uh Listening to those and thank you, thanking our listeners for uh, tuning in to episode eight of the Leafs Line podcast. That is it for this episode. Uh, appreciate all everyone's support. Uh, and the Leafs have a back to back, their first of a back to back against the Flames tonight, starting in about 10 minutes or so. And uh, it should be a good one. We got Hutchison in net, and uh, we'll see if he can increase any of his value to this squad. But other than that, thank you everyone for listening and have a great evening. Take care.